0: Hey guys, welcome. So, Mason and I have a very special uh, episode for you today. We are hosts from the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, if you are not aware, and uh, we're going to do something that I'm very passionate about and I'm very excited for.
1: Yeah. Uh, hi guys, Mason here. I'm so excited to talk about a show that Man and I both really enjoy to an immense degree, that we've never really had a chance to really dive deeply on the show. And uh, we figured, you know, if we're not gonna have a better time, like on the show, you know, if there's news and all this stuff going on. We really wanted to just sit down and uh, just get deep, real deep into why we love Mononoke.
0: Yeah, so today we are going over the show Mononoke, which is one of my favorites. It man the first time that I watched it it just blew my mind it was um, it was a horror series unlike anything else that I've ever seen because usually when you see horror shows they're um, they usually rely either on jump scares or really um, dark tones and atmospheres and a lot of um, either blood or uh, guts or something. And But Mononoke okay is unlike anything else that I have seen. It's like no less unsettling, but vibrant and colorful and uh, really fascinating. It's filled with so much um, folklore and just... Sprinkled with hints here and there on the uh, the subject and the mystery, and it's just with a really cool protagonist as well.
1: <laughs> I've I don't think any other show as equally captures both the essences of stylish and unsettling yeah. in in the same breath. Like horror shouldn't look this good, and somehow it pulls it off.
0: Yeah, and man, every. Arc that I watched. I was just there, were so many things that I felt like I could uh, pull out of it and examine and in great detail. And that's why I'm so excited to do this series. So, um, did you want to give a brief just like explanation or history of what Mononoke is?
1: Yeah, so Mononoke is a series that came out in 2007. I did not get around until watching it till 2015 personally. I don't know if you know,
0: same actually. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, was, it was a good time to watch it, but essentially this came out in the summer of 2007. This came out on the Tamina programming block, which is like the weird like adult centric, like there's just always weird stuff on that block, and I tend to love, I'll always give Noid Tamina show a shot. Um, This was done by Toei Animation, who you know, you look at their roster of what they've done Dragon Ball, One Piece, Saint Seiya, Slam Dunk, like you're like, okay, this is what they do big long shonen shoujo works that you know are classics that run forever uh this is nothing like that this is very much its own animal it's a kind of a spiritual sequel to ayakashi horror stories which is not required to watching this i didn't watch that actually until after i watched mononoke the first time and it's it's good it's directed by kenji nakamura who is an absolute boss yes he's an, a legend uh he's worked with like episode directing stuff on the big o kimono zume ayakashi that we talked about earlier um and eventually moved into series directing first with mononoke he did kuchu Buranko afterwards which is an equally phenomenal piece of work see the money of soul suritama which is a much easier jumping on point for his works mm-hmm. And then the Gachman crowds those two series. So I don't know if you have any comments about his other oh, works, but.
0: Some of my favorites. <laughs> I think this man may be one of my favorite directors because okay. between Mononoke, Suritama, and Kuchu Branco, those three all blew, equally blew my mind with how just different the art style is, how different the uh, show and subject matter is, and how he approaches storytelling. They're just. All of them are so good. I actually have not seen Gatchaman crowds or um, uh, see the, the money, but um, but all of the other shows that I've seen uh, that he has either directed or worked on were all just so different and interesting.
1: Yeah, and especially looking forward to the new, uh, what was it, Adult Swim series? Junji Ito? Yes. Is he doing that as well? Excite, excite, much excite.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but anyway, so Mononoke, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, you can find this on Crunchyroll, T V, Verve, Midnight Pulp, 2 TV. This is, for being as quote-unquote, it feels like it's underground. It feels mm-hmm. like not a lot of people talk about it, but it's one of those shows where once you see it, it's memorable. It sticks with you. This isn't something where in like eight years, someone's like, have you seen Mononoke? And you're like, Mm, was that the one? Like, there's no question about the show. Yeah. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, it's similar to Mushishi, Kuchiburanko, like we said, uh, Gankutsuo, the Count of Monte Cristo, Exacluxhalik, um, and just anyone with good taste. It's, <laughs> this is for you. And this this little podcast series, I think we are hoping beyond hope that you will have watched this show. Before consuming this,
0: yes, definitely. This to to listen to this um, kind of mini podcast that we are putting together. It requires you watching the show because the reason why we're doing this is it can be a little difficult for people to understand. Um, We recently did it for our anime club, and a lot of people struggled trying to figure out what the show was and what um, like the history of it. Like, what is it based on, and Um, because it's very ambiguous sometimes, where the endings, um, it doesn't really hold your hand. So the show will present to you all of the clues all of the um just the different facts about what's going on and then leave it up to you to come to your own conclusion on what you think happened in the end and it's a very interesting mystery trying to piece together everything that you can find within the show and how characters act things that they say um, paying attention to paintings that are used all of the different kind of colors that the um, director and the uh, the artists who worked on it. What? Why did they choose certain things and to to put those in there? Like, what are they relating to? So well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to analyze it in great detail, find all the de- find, like, look, take a look at all that different stuff, and tell you what we think.
1: Yeah, and I feel like even between the two of us, because of the ambiguous nature of some of the mysteries or components, we might even have different interpretations For of sure. what we think happened. So. I invite you, listener, to watch the arc of each series that we are going to talk about, come to your own conclusion, think about it, and then listen to this, hopefully. So, for example, this first episode will be, will be a discussion of the first two episodes of the show. That's all you have to do, is just watch two episodes of anime, and know you can do it, and then come back, and we'll dive into it, but... One last thing before we get into spoilers and talking about the show. Mandy, what is a yokai? What is a mononoke? What is this?
0: So, we didn't really mention exactly what the show is. The show is based on a mysterious character just known as either the medicine seller or Kusuri who has as his name is in Japanese, and he just goes to different areas and solves yokai related problems. So each arc is based on a different yokai or mononoke that he is trying to slay. And a yokai, um, there's different names for them. There's yokai, mononoke, and ayakashi. So yokai and ayakashi are basically the same thing. Uh, Yokai is used... Uh, more recently and Ayakashi is like the older name for them and they are just supernatural monsters spirits and demons that come up in Japanese folklore and um, what's interesting though is that they're not all they didn't all originate in Japan some yokai originate in Chinese folklore such as like the Kitsune's and Kirin's Um, and they range from malevolent to mischievous to benevolent sometimes but and they can take the appearance of animals, ghosts, humans, they can possess items. But mononoke specifically, which is what the show is based on uh, or revolves around, they those specifically are vengeful and they can be dead or living. They can possess items or people. And Or they can just appear as spirits, and their goal is to possess individuals and bring them great suffering, which often results in death. And there are many different types of yokai, and they have, have appeared in literature since the Heian period. And those, they're also often used as cautionary tales to prevent people from doing either very stupid things that are either considered rude or harmful, especially for children. And they can, um, like, for example, discarding items. There's a lot of yokai that possess items such as, uh, the paper lanterns that you may have heard of, or the, um, the obakes, the umbrellas uh, yokai. Those are items that were discarded and uh, kind of developed a grudge against the person who discarded them. And sometimes yokai's are all, like, yokai stories are often uh, fabricated for to explain different maladies or disasters that, back then, maybe people didn't have really have answers for. So, that's the history of what a yokai is.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Um, So, with that, do we want to jump right into it?
0: Yeah. Let's do the first arc. So, basically, what we're going to do is give a... Uh, I guess we already described what the show is for the first episode, but we are going to go to the Zashiki Warashi arc, which is episodes one and two, as Mason said previously. So, this one is focusing on a yokai that, you know, in the first episode, you don't really know what it is. We don't get the answer, the name of the yokai till the very end of episode one. But a Zashiki Warashi is also known as like a guest room child yokai. And what these yokai are, they usually take on the form of children. And what's interesting is that they're usually used for good luck or seen as omens of good luck. Um, Like, in a lot of stories in Japan, they were often uh, just either... They, they would haunt houses, but people wanted to keep them there. They didn't want to upset them because they would bring good fortune. They bring good health. And there are a lot of stories where if those, cho- or if those Zashiki Warashi were harmed, then the owners would either fall very ill and die, or they would lose all their fortune, everything, all of their possessions. So it's interesting that they chose a Zashiki Warashi as um, the... Hot, like the harmful Mononoke for this arc, but we'll go de- deeper into uh, what exactly they are um, further as we go along. But uh, the zashiki-, zashiki warashi are not weren't normally um, vengeful, but they love to cause mischief. And a lot of signs of a zashiki warashi being haunting a person were noises, phantom noises, especially the running of children, the cries of children, laughing. Um, they would uh, often appear as, like, a, a very young child, six year, around six years old, with blushing red faces, and they could either be girls or boys, they often wore traditional clothes, and sometimes they would rarely appear as wild, hairy, brutish figures, but whatever form they took, they would always have just the vague child, a vague child-like shape, and um, they were often considered very rare. But yeah, that's um that's basically what is a Shiki Warashi is.
1: And this show doesn't try to hide that. No. So essentially this show opens with two like title blocks, if you will. The first saying the Shiki Warashi I can't even talk Warashi, <laughs> which if you like it's not trying to hide that this is the mystery. It tells yeah. you right up front, hey this is what it is. But if you just don't have that knowledge you say okay, that's a Japanese word, and you just scoot on by, which you know it it's not trying to hide that from you. No. And then the next title block just says the first part of two, so it already tells you this is going to be a two-part episode. Prepare yourself, and the, this like screen door, the sliding door opens up as if we are the curtains of a stage, and we are treated to this like weird like raining setting, but like all the raindrops have snowflakes. So, you know, it's kind of that frosty atmosphere. You get this like you know, brightly lit up but like pale red bridge and like our main character is in the foreground and he is facing this just looming, dreary, colorless building and you just get this massive disconnect between you know, the foreground image of our main character standing on this bright red bridge to just this like monochrome setting. and Immediately we see this Divide between who our guy is, where we're going, and that's that use of color definitely gets used in later episodes. So we will bring it up pretty frequently.
0: Yeah. Um, the very first thing that stood out is just the art style because it's very different, but it looks, um, it resembles the old Ukiyoe paint artworks that we've seen, like the woodblock paintings, which yep. were very popular between like the 17th and 19th century. And I what struck me as very interesting, like, why the this art style was, um, like, the decision to choose this art style was very interesting for me is because um, there was a Japanese folklorist named Toriyama Sekin, who was a very popular ukiyo-e artist, but he's also the author of a very well-known yokai compendium. So, um, his pen name for the, for his, um, books was Sano Toyofusa and he wrote the book of The Night Parade of 100 Demons and he illustrated it using his ukiyo-e art style that's why if you look up yokai you'll see a lot of the uh, paintings done in this ukiyo-e style and so I think it's very interesting they chose that for mononoke because it's very fitting and I'll probably bring up the book uh, The Night Parade of 100 Demons quite often the um, when I brought, when I discussed Zashiki Wadashi just previously, all everything, all the information in there was from taken from that book. So I'll probably end up bringing that up throughout this entire series.
1: That's a great name for a book. Yeah, isn't tonight. it? The Parade of Hundred Demons. <laughs> I mean, definitely, people don't need us to break down how this show looks. It yeah. is very much its own thing, and I would say they definitely prioritized still frames over animation Mm -hmm. now there's not a lot of fluid movement except in very specific scenes which kind of sell you on the intensity because we get very crisp static images for so long when when they break through and do have this hectic movement you really are like oh boy things are going down but we're jumping ahead a little bit. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so we are also going to provide you with timestamps throughout here so that if we have a very specific, uh, maybe, thing that or visual that we want to draw your attention to you can skip through the episodes and find what we are talking about because sometimes we may say I don't know give the name of something that and you're like what the heck is that well you can use the timestamps to find it in the episode to see what we're talking about and the first thing that I think is um a a good uh detail to bring up about Mononoke is just the choice of paintings and imagery that is used in this series because there's it, like, there are obviously some parts where it's like, he they chose this just because it looks cool. But then there are times where I'm like, all the different kind of colors and paintings and just imagery in there were all chosen for a very specific reason. And the first time that we see that is, if you can skip to 21 seconds into the first episode, we see the very first um, infant doll, which is kind of like a dorama. And that, I think that's the correct name of it, right? Do, is that Daruma?
1: It's, yeah. So when I think of a Daruma, I think more classically of the doll with the uh, the eyeballs. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you you buy one that is sans eyes. It has white spots there. And what you will do is you will think about uh, a goal. You have a something you're trying to achieve. And with that in mind, you will color in one of them. So you'll have one black eye. And then as you live your life, you will eventually hopefully succeed in that goal, and only then are you allowed to color in that second eye. And these dolls are referred to as Daruma, but they don't really have that eye connotation, so I kind of just refer to them as dolls, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but I think they're one and the same. They're definitely uh, bundled up. If you've ever played Sekiro, they look like the uh, uh, I think like the Shijo statues. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what exactly they're called, but it's it very much has the bundled up appearance of a a baby or a young child.
0: Yeah, so 21 seconds in, we see it does a close-up of the sign for the store that um, Kusuriyuri is standing in front of, or the building that he's standing in front of. And there are these dolls painted on the sign. And it's kind of a very, um, kind of a little hint of what is to come, because these dolls are going to be very important to the rest of the arc.
1: Yeah. So we proceed. We see the attendant of the building. His name is Tokuji. And he has merely this very classic hair, which you know, show doesn't explicitly say when it takes place, but you know, based on clues like this, uh, we assume that it takes place in like the Edo period, which is like the 1800s. And the seller kind of approaches the building, but he always stays outside. And in all these framing shots, especially at 43 seconds, there's always like a very clear divide between inside the inn and outside where the the medicine cellar is standing. And it strikes me very much like, you know, in classic vampire stories where, you know, you can't enter until, you like, they're invited in. And it kind of has just, like, why is this dude just standing out there? Like, why is, it just has this creepy sense of, like, what's up with this dude? And it's, like, super bustling outside. Like, we see a lot of these overhead shots with people walking by with their umbrellas because, like I said, it's raining. So... Like, why is he standing out in this miserable weather? And it's just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And the attendant um, refers to him as Kusu Uri, as we talked about, which is, like we said, literally just medicine seller. And um, I think, what we we shortening his name to Kusu? Yeah, I, we can just shorten just it to Kusu. <laughs> just because we don't want to botch it too often, and it'll be quick to say. And this attendant guy, Tokuji, is like, hey, we don't want any of what you're usually selling. And it adds, like, the sense of no notoriety to know this guy is known he has a a presence that people know him for but he's not always wanted there um and he's like no i'm not here to sell anything this time i'm here to stay the night and something about that like triggers in the attendant like oh something is going on this is not how business usually happens and he his hair literally stands on end and you can see like the hairs on his head and like back of his neck like start to spike up and that's kind of like the intro to the series before the opening begins.
0: Which is so good. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> I So I'm going to put a very short clip of the OP before these episodes and you should just listen to the whole OP. If you have not seen this show yet, which I don't know why you're still around if you have not seen it yet, but...
1: Guys, watch it. Watch it.
0: But yes, please. Please please go listen to the OP. It's such a good song and also just very interesting imagery that is preparing you for a very wild story about just different types of ghosts and horrible just events. (laughs)
1: I always, it always feels to me like when you're on a roller coaster and you've got in the seat and the guy, they start making the announcements and the guy starts walking down the line and like checking everyone's seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, make sure everyone's ready for this ride. Like that's the kind of mood and like excitement it gets me in because I'm like, oh, there's no turning back now. Like we are, we are going, all systems are go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a super hype song, but it, uh. It matches the show very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Moving forward, return to the inn. uh, The proprietor is an old lady named Hisayo. And the the kanji that makes up her name uh, is the character for a long time or a counter for decades of ages or eras. Oh, interesting. So, very fitting for this, you know, very weathered, but, you know, she's heavily adorned with makeup. You can tell she's been at this Place for a long time mm-hmm. and she is despite them saying oh we don't want any of what you're selling she is perusing the wares that Kusu is selling and he's asking her did you have something? Oh, I
0: was gonna say, I think it's interesting that every time the uh, shot goes away and goes back to those two talking, the bottles change. So sometimes there's like ones in the shape of fish and turtles, and sometimes it goes away and comes back, and the bottles have changed. It makes me wonder, how much medicine does this guy carry around?
1: Well, he's got a a large backpack, yes. similar to uh, Ginkgo's from Mushi. Mushi. Yeah. The, like this big wooden box full of all sorts of intricacies and things that mm-hmm. are exotic and essentially Kusu is asking her about the history of the establishment and as she talks um she recounts the built the history of the building and how she's been there since she was a girl and we just see some interior shots of this place and especially at like th- 3 minutes and 27 seconds it is just full of splendor we kind of get the shot of the foyer with just every single panel of wall or like pillar is just adorned with so many features we have stained glass on like Mm -hmm. one side of the wall it's just very symmetrical it's just it's gaudy beyond belief and it's it's you know it's as impressive as it was on the outside but just bursting with color and it's such a cool shot Um, because they're you know up on the top floor and we can kind of see them looking down and then again from the floor looking up and just we see every detail and it's great And we see the the patrons of this establishment wearing uh, kimonos. And it's interesting that the women, we don't really see their faces. They're, you know, powdered, very white, as if the makeup of the time. Mm -hmm. But there's flowers on their face, kind of obstructing their eyes and nose and features. So we kind of don't see them as people. We just kind of see their presence in their kimonos. And um, the women have moon kimonos which are, I'm interpreting to be a representation of, obviously, Moon, which is the yin of the yin-yang dynamic. Mm-hmm. And the yin is, obviously, female. And the men have pitch black faces. And they have sun kimonos, obviously, representing yang. So the the two genders of the people in this establishment are divided between their, their robes and their facial uh, makeup.
0: Yeah, and we'll see the yin and yang come up. Quite often, too, in this entire arc, as it appears on some different kind of clothing later on. But um, mm-hmm. what's also interesting about this particular like when you mention the building and all of the different kind of paintings in the background <clears throat> always pay attention to what's going on in the background because sometimes they are giving you either hints or just different kind of symbolisms for what the theme of this uh, arc is so when they're um and hasayo or hisayo are talking uh at this um part of the story where they're sitting down if you take a close look at the background and it has a close-up at three minutes and 21 seconds it shows a painting of peaches and it's drawing your attention to it like it goes straight up to the painting and these um peaches are often used as a symbol of fertility and uh the camera after that scene zooms in on a baby statue like we mentioned before but this one is not on a painting it's like the actual doll itself and it goes to a shot outside and zooms in on this baby statue that's being left out in the rain and um at it's at 3 minutes and 45 seconds in and it's sitting out in the rain but what I think is interesting is that there are cherry blossoms painted down the front of it and as we see more dolls later on, they all have cherry blossoms, and I think it, what's why it was interesting to choose that is that ser- cherry blossoms often symbolize uh, fleeting the fleeting nature of life because cherry blossoms have a very short life, but they're beautiful, and I think that's a very interesting choice for the infant dolls that it, for especially this infant doll that is being left out in the rain. And uh, the doll's color is yellow, which is used in Japan as a cautionary color, which um, either is either used or sometimes used to represent hazards, dishonesty, deceit, but also illness. And I think that could play into the, the story later on, which we'll, we'll uncover as we go.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So kind of the first sign of, I got, got at least a sense of unusual. Oh, about sure. this. Mm-hmm was, you know, like I mentioned, Kusu's saying, like, you know, what's the history of this building? And she's like, oh, I've had it since I was a kid, but it's been so long that I've forgotten what the building was before it became an inn. And when she says this, the camera zooms in on, like, a side profile of the lady's neck. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't a lot of, like, animation. We don't see, like, the Adam's apple move down or up. We just, it forces us to, by seeing very little of anything else, Really focus on the vocal delivery of her saying, I don't remember what this building used to be, to assess, like, is she telling the truth? Is she lying? Like, by kind of covering your eyes to everything, Mm -hmm. you really focus on the sound of her voice and, like, hmm. Yeah. Do we believe this? Yeah. When
0: she said that line, it was very clear she was lying to him. (laughs) That's what it, like, you can tell by her vocal delivery.
1: Agreed. But I feel like a normal show might have you know had her pull at her collar or a bead of sweat Mm -hmm. or some kind of or maybe even had her say that and then had our character which we've kind of established our connection to kusu kind of like maybe narrow his eyes or like react in some way that makes us question what she said but it's very much left to us to catch up to pick up that she might be Mm -hmm. not telling us everything
0: yeah, and then um, next scene, we are introduced to Shino, who is the main character of this arc, you know, besides Kuzu, and she is a pregnant lady who's just arrived at this establishment. And um, she's, we first see her outside where the street is very desolate and um, not very lively, but we, it does a zoom in on her wrist, which has this charm on it, which kind of looks like the dolls that we see around, a little bit different, it's not um, bundled up, but it is a yellow doll and we see also standing next to her is that yellow doll that we saw sitting out in the rain and then she um, comes inside and she reveals that she has this blonde hair I like how you put down JoJo-esque hair
1: She's got this like heart-shaped like <laughs> pompadour-esque thing up front and it's straight out of uh, like golden wind <laughs> It's it's pretty great It's the first thing I thought of
0: <laughs> But um, we're Around four minutes and forty-three seconds in, but she um, asks Toji if they would be able to give her a room for the night, and she is very distraught. She needs to stay out of the rain because she's um, currently pregnant, and but she's also but she also says that if she is not able to stay here, then she is going to be killed because the, they don't want her there. Obviously, Tokuchi tells her we don't have any rooms and tries to push her out. But she's like, No, I need to stay here. If you don't, then you're going to wake up to find a dead woman outside.
1: Oh always a good look. Always <laughs> a good look. Yes. Yeah, so I believe she mentions at this point that she is being chased. Yeah. She's being pursued by someone and there's all sorts of trouble coming, should they not decide to house her. So the the proprietor eventually comes down, hears her, you know, barking up a storm in the lobby, comes down and says, Oh, we can we can, you know, we can house you. Uh, we can put you in that room. And Tokuji's like, oh, that one? And Very loudly. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be concerned if I was a guest. He was. And they're like, we can put you in that room. Yeah. And be like, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa. What's that? Tokuji
0: so screams at this, like, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Astonishment. But here we go. We are heading up, so we are in, like, going up the flight of stairs. Uh, the proprietor is leading, followed by Shino, the pregnant lady, and things start happening. So first we see just talisman, probably, I you know, eight inches long by three inches wide, just these paper slips with cryptic symbols all over the walls heading up. Um, We hear, like, these weird sounds, like a mix of, like, flute playing, children, or, like, scampering about overhead. And when they're walking through the hallway, it doesn't have, like, a fluid... When we get, like, a point of view perspective, we don't see things passing fluidly. It's, like, a weird, like, trance. There's, like, two layers that, like, slowly move, like, a, a caterpillar in, like, two different sections. I'm trying to describe how to say, like... It's almost like the animation is like slowed down and you can see them slowly pass Mm -hmm. you by. And it's just very off-putting. And a lot of people might look at this and be like, oh, they just don't have an animation budget. They don't know how to animate people moving through a hallway. But once again, I see this as definitely a choice to create unease. And you can see this from eight minutes to nine minutes, like this whole sequence of just things that are messing with your senses
0: or also possibly going into because we know that these are mononoke and they possess um, areas they they haunt so it could also be like we are moving from a place of safety into a place of extreme danger
1: yeah it definitely disconnects the room that we are going to from the grand splendor from the nice looking place that we just left Mm -hmm. And as we do this, uh, Hisayo, the older lady, chastises Shino for, you know, not being able to care for her child. You know, why, why are you bringing, trying to bring a child into this world if you're having to, like, beg for housing? Like, do you, you know, rethink what you're doing with your life, lady? Because you're not in a great situation right now and, like, kind of questioning her future motherhood. Mm-hmm. And...
0: But I also think is interesting is how large this place is. Because on the outside it looks like a very small establishment, but it's weird how the the area warps as we're going through the stairs. Like um, it shifts and turns, and they we all of a sudden they're in this area with like a kind of stream with a bridge over it. It's like. I don't know, it's it's really interesting how it just constantly keeps going. And it's like they they have this very long journey up to this room that they are giving her.
1: Yeah, both both this arc and the next one, which takes place on the ship, both of these are otherworldly mm-hmm. in their size. Like it's very similar kind of in scope to the 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 bathhouse from Spirited Away, yes. which just is a massive monstrosity that is too big for the land it sits mm-hmm. on. And you're just, like, so much is stuffed in there that you'd go crazy in there.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, but what...
1: Let's talk about bugs.
0: Let's talk (laughs) about bugs. (laughs) But, yeah, and then Shino, of course, needs to take a rest. But what I thought was interesting is where they... She chose to take a rest. She kneels down, has to just take a breather. But what's behind her... And this is around the time that Hisayo is chastising her. And Shino is kind of just basically ignoring her, but she says that she wants to uh, give birth to this child. It's her child. She wants to. And um, the painting that is behind her at this time when she takes a rest are two ladybugs that are devouring aphids. And the ladybugs have the... Do you know what that kanji is? We see it outside of the store as well.
1: Yeah, it's not really a kanji. It looks very similar mm. to uh, the symbol for five... Oh, yeah. It's just okay. like a number. Um, but it's it's something we've seen, you know, on the outside of the structure. We see it on the, the clothing of Tokuji. We see it on, like, different uh, little pieces that always associate this symbol with the 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 inn yeah. that everyone's staying at. Yeah,
0: and then the ladybugs have those printed on the backs of them, and they're eating aphids. And the only reason why I thought it was interesting that they chose that painting, and it's clear they they paused at this moment because they wanted you to take a look at that painting. But if you don't really, um, if you're not really looking for it, it could be a little bit. Um, I don't know, I think it's something that you could easily miss. But upon rewatching, after you have already seen the uh, show and or the arc, and you go back and watch it again, I think it's interesting that you pick up on these things. Like, it lingers on this painting. And I think um, the reason why I thought it was interesting that they chose this one is just the history of ladybugs in, um, like, what their symbolism is in different uh, countries or areas. So, um, this could also just be me just making stuff up. (laughs) Like, I'm not saying, I I don't know, I don't have any proof, of course, that this is what the uh, director, what his um, intention was, and maybe he had something else in mind. But the way that I interpreted it is that uh, in old Asian, um, a lot of old Asian traditions, they believe that ladybugs would carry words of, uh, love to the those that you loved. or um, So like you would whisper to a ladybug and they would fly to your beloved and then whisper in your name into their ear and then your lover would be compelled to come and seek you out. And I think it's inter- the only reason why I thought that was like no- having that bit of knowledge and why I think it's interesting for this particular painting, why she paused on it and why she said at this moment that no, I want to have this child is because she knew is Actively trying to escape someone who wants her and her child dead. She wants to escape the father of her child, as we will uncover more later on.
1: Instead of the red thread of fate, it's the red bug of fate. Yes. That's the ladybug. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, when we say ladybug ring an aphid, like ladybugs are, you know, ten times the size of these yes. things. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's a small painting of this is a massive scroll of large proportions that is i don't know it's very interesting to look at whether or not you so for example i didn't even see them as ladybugs i just saw them as you know these large bugs that are shepherding these smaller bugs to their doom towards something else you're really not sure and it, it comes into play later but it is a very cool mm-hmm. painting. And I want. I think
0: it. <laughs> there could be multiple ways to interpret it, and I think that's something that is important to just know throughout all of this. Is that I think there are multiple ways to interpret all of it, and I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer to anything. I think that he presented a mystery surrounding a very supernatural uh, event and creatures that are, you know, that we know nothing about. They like in history of yokai and. Mononoke and Ayakashi's and all of those stories that surrounding them, they are just otherworldly beings that we just have no information on. We can't understand them. So I I don't know. I think it's um, just a way of him just presenting all of the things that are revolving around these supernatural events and then leaving it up to us to interpret them.
1: Absolutely. So they continue walking up the stairs. They get to the room and uh, essentially, the lady Shino is just like, I, I need to lay down. I need to fucking relax a bit. Please, thank you very much. <laughs> and the is like, okay, well, we'll get you some food. We'll get you, uh, I think it was like bedding that she was going to get. And starts, leaves Shino up in the room and starts walking down the stairs. And that's where uh, she encounters Kusu, the medicine seller, just sitting on a bench, you know, just doing this thing. And she's like, okay, look. You're clearly not supposed to be here. What are you doing? Uh, and he's like, "Oh, I'm lost. I was looking for a bathroom or something like that." Mm. But it's clear, like he's he's poking around. He's investigating. And in this dialogue, we don't see the innkeeper like walking down the stairs as she like questions him. We just see like a, a wide shot of the two of them with him on the bench, her on the stairs. This big room. We snap to him making a case and when we go back to wide she just like has transported down the stairs like in a scary movie where the, the monster like doesn't walk down it just like snaps closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. and uh it's just it's just why why did they make that decision and it just is unnatural it just doesn't look right mm-hmm. and it's not how we're used to perceiving things and it just adds to these little moments that build suspense
0: yeah um and then after that we get to see the Zashiki Warashi for the very first time. So she knows in her room... (laughs) She knows in the room she's cold. I think it's also interesting that she keeps saying that she's very cold. Could be that she's just, you know, coming out from the rain. But also, we usually interpret ghostly things with cold. Um,
1: Just the chill you get, yeah.
0: yeah. And so she's she keeps saying that she's very cold she's trying to bundle herself up on the floor and then we get to see the first image of a of this zashiki Wadashi, which is like this child this very not like, a natural looking child they look they don't look like children they look kind of monstrous a little bit
1: he looks like part radish he's got these yeah. he's like this weird like puffy cheeks with like a very pointed head um, is this one colored any differently? I the very first the one note. that we
0: see is yellow, which is also the yellow,
1: the same color as, mm-hmm. I mean, the one we saw at the the entrance that was with Shino yes, this- uh, next to Kuso on the bench. Like it's popped up quite a number of this
0: particular doll is following her it appears outside when she first comes into the establishment which is also the same color as the charm that she had and then it appears as she's going up the stairs and then appears in the room with her so this particular doll has been following her and the child that we see um is also yellow and so, it comes, and this is when Shino notices the doll for the first time. She picks it up and she looks at it. And then this mysterious child just spawns out of nowhere and is like, that's mine. And then takes it from her. And she's like, she's thinking that it's a real child. <laughs> she's like, oh, uh, okay. Okay,
1: <laughs> here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and this 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 weird child, radish-looking thing is wearing like a, a smock, like an apron. Uh, that's red. And it covers like his torso and runs to the ground and then f- continues the trail off the screen and it kind of leads to where Shino would be standing assumably mm-hmm. and immediately i get the image of like a uh, umbilical cord oh, yeah, like absolutely. a piece of red cloth that connects the the, the clothing of this weird child to Shino. and you now it doesn't uh, we'll get to that later but or maybe that's just my rewatchability skills. <laughs> <laughs> my Spidey senses sticking it, but it's definitely very apparent. Oh yeah. And this creature says, "Let's go somewhere. Let's go. Let's go. I got some place to show you." And she knows, like, nah, no, nah, I'm good right here. I, I'm, I'm gonna stay here. I think." <laughs> she's, she's a little tired.
0: Um, the first time that we see the the cloth that goes that connects from the child to Shino, it um was around twelve minutes and two seconds. If you're having trouble. For- figuring out what we're talking about, but also the uh, apron that it's wearing has that yin-yang, the actual yin-yang that we discussed earlier, and this sort of yin and yang um, imagery pops up throughout the entire arc, which is very important to it.
1: Is this show trying to tell me where babies come from?
0: Yes, it is very educational.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Forget the birds and the bees, we got the yins and the yangs.
0: (laughs) Um, so yeah the next uh we uh she uh, is speaking to this child and then something distracts her and when she looks back it's gone so we know this is a ghost this is not like an actual child that wandered into her room and she's kind of like taken aback like where did it go <laughs> and then she goes to sleep and this is when we first get to see her pursuer um who has caught up to her
1: yeah so uh, it's like dead of night she's sleeping uh this takes place like 13 minutes, 45 seconds, and the room is still bright. It's still lit up, um, but she was probably just so tired. I mean, she hasn't eaten yet that she just passed out. Uh, And we see she knows sleeping, and all of a sudden, we see her, like, her nose, like, detect. She can smell, like, what's coming, and she immediately wakes up alarmed. And this ability to smell is either, you can see it as, you know, she is pregnant. And having a heightened sense of smell is a sign of pregnancy or just that the person coming after her is either so distinctly odorized, I guess is the word he stank <laughs> or it just, you know, this is from a place that she recognizes a, a hometown that she's trying to get away from that it like triggers her and snaps her awake. So even before we see the man after her, we are equally alarmed because of her immediate like freaking out
0: and he's breathing uh, very heavily too
1: yeah so even yeah before we see him we we hear him breathing and she's like looking at this closed door like oh no when's he gonna come in we hear the breathing and he doesn't even come in through the door he's just already in the room like right above her and he's just this absolutely like savage looking man uh he's got like daggers like adorned on his biceps um and one of those things were just like the the dolls now they show us them early in the episode so when they go into play later when he throws the daggers it's not like we're like oh where did daggers come from like we see it first just like you know Chekhov's gun we see what's happening we might not register it but later on we're never surprised every the show doesn't hide anything from Mm -hmm. us yeah um and he kind of gives us the backstory of know why is this woman escaping to some degree and he says you know like you need to return because of the master and all this stuff the 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 state that he serves and we can kind of infer like maybe this is from an affair that this woman had with uh the master of this estate it's this child might cause no logistical issues for the the inheritance of this grand clan that there might be a part of. Yeah, he
0: mentions that, um, she's like, I I just want to have this child, just forget about me. And he's like, uh, no, it'll be a great, um, trouble to the, to my lord and his wife. So, yeah, yeah, so it's definitely like an affair going on, and this child is a danger to whoever that is.
1: Yeah, and at first I thought it was because, I mean just the image of, you know, having committed adultery, having proof of that uh you know not being loyal would be a bad look but then it is found out that this child is actually would have been like his first son or first Mm -hmm. kid and that would have given him inheritance rights. so it's more than just like a bad look this child has like value Mm -hmm. to the, the clan and it needs to go it needs to be eliminated and so the woman is you know tries to scurry away tries to escape um And once again, we don't see this animated. We don't see her on the floor, like, trying to get away. We just, we see the man, we hear the sounds, but we can put it together. And once again, we don't see him turn and throw the darts. We just hear him turn. We hear the whipping, the whistling through the air, it slamming into the wall. And we see the Shino, like, against the wall with, like, the daggers, like, silhouetting around the outside of her head as if, you know... He could have killed her, but like, was trying to scare her. Still, it's like we put it all together. We understand what's going on, even though the show doesn't show us. And the music is escalating quickly, and all of a sudden, things went from zero to hundred yes. mm-hmm. very quick. Yeah, and you know, the savage man comes up on her, brings out his sword, and is like, "Listen, baby, we're ending it right now." <laughs> and we we get we as i talked about earlier it's a very static show very calm patient show and all of a sudden the the screen is shaking we get a we camera's right up on this lady's face we finally get like these 3D features and like depth of like the skilled animation is she's like screaming out and like panicking cuz she knows the end of her life is right around the corner this is all at 14 minutes and 50 seconds mm-hmm. and all of a sudden right as things reach a fever pitch the room just stops. Kind of, yeah, it stops. The, the, like transports, and we hear this like weird scrunching and clunching and squelching sound. And the, uh, the medicine seller Kusu is alerted. And what what happened? What happened?
0: <laughs> well, I what. But- when you were talking about like the squelching sound, the camera is pointed at the man that, um, that that is hunting her down, and then it turns around him. Like we get one shot, and then we get to see him from the side, except from the side, we still see the front of his face, and then it goes to the back, and we still see the front of his face, and it's that sound yeah. of his spine twisting, because whatever it is, is twisted him <laughs> and then he is pulled up into the roof, like you were saying, the, the the animation here is crazy. Like everything's chaotic. And we just hear screaming and sounds and then Kusu appears and uh, this man the room, whatever is yeah, whatever's in the room. Wrecked. Yeah, this time we don't we're not exactly sure if you're not if you're not um, if you have not been alerted to what the ghost is yet. Like if this is your first time watching, you don't know what just happened, but that something in the room did not like him. Did not like him threatening this woman, and so he's pulled up into the ceiling, and uh, he there he hang.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't we don't really get to see him. We'll talk about that later. But essentially, I think at this point, medicine seller arrives as well as the proprietor and the assistant. I believe all all four of them mm-hmm. those two Shino and yeah they're all in the room and they're like uh what happened <laughs> <laughs> and the lady obviously Shino is having a trouble a hard time explaining what just happened because you know her back was turned and all the second she was supposed to be dead and now this, this uh, man that was chasing her is hanging somewhat mutilated from this like rafter and she's doing fine and she's just like uh, she says, like, the room just spun around, and she uses the, the Japanese word, Kuru, Kuru, and she's like, it, it Kuru, 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 and each time she says it, the, this is kind of, it's very a circular room, it's very 360, it's not like there's one entrance, there's, there's no really beginning or end, and as she says, Kuru, Kuru, each time, the camera does like a 90 degree rotation around the room as Yeah, just like it did to the man
0: as it was killing him, yeah.
1: And the medicine seller is like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) It went guru, 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 guru. Guru." guru. Not quite kuru, kuru. It means the same thing, but it is a different way of saying it. Like, his understanding, and similarly, the camera when he says it each time, spins around. I just had that image in my head. I can think about it in the way it sounds every time. Hmm. And he... Kusu makes the proclamation that the the person who killed the, the savage man that was chasing Shino was not human. And all of a sudden, a box with a gleaming sword, which is, like, twinkling melodiously. It's very funny, almost. <laughs> um, we're not sure what's happening, but the seller, the medicine seller says that he is here to kill. Big dramatic pause. No and everything the kusu says is very deliberate there's like a very awkward pause between each of the words he is saying and it just has this like unearthly quality to it but it's very cool
0: yeah, and I think when it's cool when they mention Mononoke because all of a sudden it goes to a black screen with just the kanji for Mononoke going down it and then it's his voice is echoey in the background. It's like it's drawing your attention like this is what the entire show is based on. This thing that he yes. has come to slay. But um
1: and it's it's also interesting because you know, he he's a medicine seller. He's just pulled out a a sword and I think Tokuji specifically is like, what the heck? Like a sword? What are you doing with that? Because in this time period, the Edo period, um, this was when Japan had a four class system, which was the samurai at the highest class. Then you had the farmers and the peasants. Then you had the artisans. And then the lowest class was merchants, which is what our medicine seller is. He's selling his wares. Mm -hmm. And at that time, only samurai were permitted to carry swords. So here this weird guy who was kind of like walking around and maybe investigating where he shouldn't. He's the lowest class. All of a sudden, he's bringing out this majestic looking sword. And this is, you know, a shock as much to them from a societal side.
0: I also, I'm curious, one thing that I didn't really find any information on, I'd like to do more research on is the history of medicine sellers, because I think it's interesting that uh, both Kusuriuri and Ginko from Mushishi have the exact same kind of style of uh, case that they carry on their back with their medicine, but I think it's also interesting that they're both medicine sellers that are hunting otherworldly creatures. I don't know, I think that's very interesting, I want to know if there's some kind of maybe folklore that's based on just maybe medicine, maybe some kind of belief that medicine sellers also sold kind of medicines to maybe exercise ghosts or spirits? I don't know.
1: It it very much seems that the medicines being sold are not with any sort of like a a doctor or like medicine knowledge. It's just kind of like, oh, these are some herbs that I would grind up and treat and that would somehow you know we found that throwing it at your face and rubbing it in this wound had benefits or this kind of thing like it's a very loose definition of what we might consider medicine today
0: Mm -hmm. yeah but um at, at this point this is where we are first introduced to the sword like you just previously mentioned that and what exactly how exactly it works So Kusu points out that he is here to slay this, this being, and in order for him to draw out the sword of exorcism, he needs to know the form, the truth, and the regret of the being that he is hunting, this Mononoke. So he first says that he knows the form, it's the the, uh, Zashiki Warashi, but we don't know what the truth and regret are are yet and they will uncover that as he explore he just observes what is going on in this haunting and um, not until the end of episode two we know the entire extent of what happened to causes this uh, zashiki Warashi and what it wants
1: because at this time you know we still hear the sounds of children playing and all this stuff and uh, kusu hears mm-hmm. it. Shino hears it, but the the attendant and the innkeeper don't hear anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just blank to all that. So they're not perceptive of what's going on in their very own establishment.
0: Yeah, and this is around the time that uh, the background starts to warp. It starts to pull into different directions like it's zooming in and out of the ceiling and as Shino is hearing these children cry she's looking at the ceiling oh they're up there oh they're to the side like she's looking to the left and the right and oh they're behind me and um we just hear running and screaming for of children like you just said the other two um the proprietors of this establishment are like what are you talking about we don't hear anything and Kusu is just observing. He's just standing there observing this as like events unfold to see if he can figure out, piece together what exactly is happening. And um, at 18 minutes and 28 seconds, we get a very quick flash. One thing that Moronoke loves to do is put in things for you to find on rewatches, and there's another one in one of the last arcs that is very interesting to, to kind of catch. And at 18, seconds, we see a close-up of Hisayo as she is, uh, like, listening to everybody uh, around her speak about what is happening, trying to just piece it together, but the background flashes. It's a very, very quick flash that you might miss on your first time. But, um, like, previously, when Kusu was observing the corpse, he mentions, oh, it looked like he has been wrapped up in something, and, like, like, whatever it was, wrapped him up and strangled him to death up, up at the top of the ceiling. And uh, for a very brief second, beside, behind Hisayo, we see a flash of the red cloth that we have seen um, coming out of the Zashiki-Wirashi when it was speaking to Shino. That red cloth. And it's just covering the wall. The whole thing, the whole wall is wrapped in it. And it's... It's, like to symbolize that there is something going on with this wall and they, it has, um, it gave me a feeling that they are trapped here. Whatever it is has completely covered the wall and it is determined to keep these people trapped within this room.
1: It looks so cool. It looks so cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't believe it. Um, I can't remember if it's at the end of episode one or at the beginning of episode two where, uh, Kusu, um, Like, when everything's going crazy, he throws out his talismans that are meant to, you know, repel, uh, Mononoke, meant to repel evil, and he throws them all along the walls, and the walls just suddenly, like, we see, like, they were wallpaper, and all of a sudden they become red cloth, and they just recoil in horror, and like the screaming cries of children, like, either being hurt or distressed they're just crying and screaming all of a sudden and that moment was really cool it's like this, yeah. like now we get to actually see what was happening like they are trapped they were being trapped in this room like this this Mononoke had created a barrier it was very determined to keep them in there
1: I didn't yeah there wasn't really much of a meaning behind it uh, like we talk about the the red cord later but the, the red lady bug of fate but and I just—it's very clear what's going on, and it's just a big climactic ending to episode yeah. one. We did episode one, everybody. <laughs> we're halfway there.
0: Halfway there, and then we get to the uh, second episode, where we finally get to figure out what is happening. But at this point, um, a lot of the symbolisms have calmed down because all of that was to try and give you a hint of what was happening, and um, but now that we are in like. The form of the uh, ghost, the Mononoke, has shown itself. So we don't we don't need any hints now. We know we know what's happening. We know what it is that is haunting these people.
1: Exactly. There's way less to get into because all the pieces have been set up. Mm-hmm. All the things are in play, and now we get the toppling of the dominoes.
0: So the questions at this point are: Why are they haunting? And what do they want? Which is also what mm-hmm. Kusudouji is trying to find.
1: What what went on? So, episode two begins with once again the title block that says you know this is the, the s- part the second is how it's translated, and the characters using it are used not in a way that you would say like part two, but like the the concluding segment. Like it lets you know that the this is the final part of this arc. So, once again, it's it knows hey you're gonna get your answers here. So, and it starts off I feel like it starts off with obviously it goes straight into the OP I think Mm -hmm. but we kind of not like a refresher but we kind of just re-antiquate ourselves with the characters but the the first thing in my notes that I had mentioned was that the, the the spirits start manipulating the room and like stretching out essentially like the doors will open mm-hmm. up and then we see that room from the room over and it's the same room and those doors open up and we just keep on s- telescoping outwards into like this endless sea of tatami galaxy <laughs> this endless room is connected there's no escape and the way it parallaxes the camera with this like endless corridor of rooms with with our main set in the main one like way in the back now it's such a cool look and essentially the the spirits are pulling either metaphysically or in actuality all the characters away from shino to isolate her because essentially they see this pregnant woman as their mother figure and everyone else in this room is unwanted by them so they're kind of pulling these characters away from shino
0: yeah she's clearly the goal what they want at this moment but um And as she's pulled away, she enters kind of just a different like location. Either whether it's probably most likely in the past where she gets to witness what happened with these uh, Mononoke. They're giving her, they're showing her um, like kind of like what their pain is, what happened. And she witnesses to like a couple uh, um, having sex and then all of a sudden there is a uh, baby, like, or is Zashiki Warashi standing in front of them with that red, um, tapestry or that red cloth connected from it to them, like, it unfolds and goes to the couple that are laying in bed, and it's like, I choose these two, so it's clear that some, whatever happened, like, they were born here, and then we go back to, uh, Hisayo in and Kusiriyuri, and is like, I cannot solve this unless I know what happened. And is trying to mm-hmm. drill her for information. And she's like, um, Hisayo finally reveals what the the horrible past of this place. And that it used to be a brothel. It used to be a whorehouse. And that these women who would, um, you know, while while they were working, they would get pregnant. And this room that she has brought Shino to is a room where they she used to perform forced abortions like these women didn't have choices in it they were brought there and she forced abortions on them and then these children were um like the room was meant to be as like a memorial for them to kind of to make to kind of like soothe the spirits anger or um their or make them like rest in peace and the dolls the uh fetuses or, or you know the the um unborn childs were placed in those urns into those dolls and then put inside the wall. Which, at this point, we're like, okay, this is clearly a horror. This is a yes, a very, very dark story. Far darker than we were expecting it to be with the very bright and colorful um, art style. Very different from anything else I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of my notes here are just like visual things. Uh, I mean, just wind the clock back just a little bit the the shot of we see like Shino kneeling down and then we follow her as she gets whisked away and she like is being moved like through walls and furniture at like yes. a really mm-hmm. fast speed and you see uh kusu like fly out of the frame mm-hmm. and just the way we the camera stays completely still as the room whips through Shino is such a cool look. And I couldn't really tell if she was going, you know, back in time to see kind of the the revelation of this is was a whorehouse and everything, or if this is just an alternate location of, you know, the escapades going on in the hotel currently. But it's 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 such a cool shot. But but actually the the room where the abortions took place is uh like the way that they depict it is Gruesome on so many different levels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't just be like, ah, this is how they did it, and you're like, well, that's just not pleasant. But they have, you know, this this speech by the innkeeper talking about how, you no, know, these 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 pregnant women are damaged goods. This you cannot succeed like this. This is the cost that you owe to me. And as she rants and raves, she's taking all this red cloth and ripping yeah. it as she like obviously representing the umbilical cord but this like altar that that she puts the ladies on is like has this like it's almost like sacrifice kind of yeah it's a very sacrificial but it has like these like mechanics that they show us as she like stamps on these not like a button but a like a lever and that causes like a mechanical tension of this other spring to load up and like literally pound out the fetus and like you hear like the sounds and like seeing how it actually all would work with these pillars that are moving up and down which is assumingly where the woman would have been as we hear like these cracking and just terrifying sounds as all the dolls in the room and in the walls they start like cracking and displacing and like falling and it's just like yeah, all these things are culminating into this just disturbing scene and it's like you just feel Terrified, And as visually interesting as it is, you're like, this is, it's yeah, heavy. Yeah, it's
0: very heavy. And also during this scene, he saw you it. She's no longer that old woman. She's much younger and beautiful. And so um, we get a sense that this is what happened in the past. This is who she used to be. And like you said, she's tearing at that cloth, pulling it, but as she's pulling it, when her hand releases from the cloth, it's covered in blood. And we're hearing the screams of children. And um, the when there's this one moment where she takes cloth and rips it in half, and as she's tearing it, blood comes off of it. And then it shows one of the dolls laying down. And she places the cloth over its eyes like it's like, um, like what you would do to hide the eyes of someone who has just died. It's gruesome imagery. And
1: yeah well i think also when she tears out the blood like it f- goes on her as well as like it like yes. drops upon like one of the dolls as mm-hmm. well
0: yeah it was <sighs> yeah it was very gruesome
1: it's so cool it's very <laughs> cool this this episode looks phenomenal they definitely put more stylist stylistic flair into the movement of things in this episode yeah and i
0: think a lot of people got confused like what is happening but i think it's important to um to note that this area like this room is trapped is has so much negative energy in there these mononoke have taken over it and they want revenge they are very um, vengeful and this whole area is kind of trapped in the past and i think what is happening at this moment is that we're just seeing glimpses of the past this is what happened and we are shino is being um, is has to witness it has to wit- like has to witness it going on and I'm at this point. I'm not entirely sure whether or not the Hisayo and the other man are still alive. I'm wondering if they're ghosts because um, they disappear at the end. We don't see them anymore. So I'm 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 still even curious if they're even alive. At this moment, we don't know. But
1: well, that lets you know. It goes back to you know when we first saw this place. There was no color yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. It was desolate. It was monochrome. And the only people who we see who enter the building have the ability to perceive spirits to some yeah. degree. Shino and Kusu, mm. and the other patrons that we saw, you know, in the in the lobby in their rooms, they were they were all faceless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was this an, an abandoned building that we've come across? Is this still operating? And it just truly has turned into an. It's inn?
0: possible that she was drawn um, there, like. They they exactly. wanted Shino there because these children these um these spirits of these children this zashiki warashi they're looking for a mother to uh, to give birth to them they want her they want her because she has um, she is with child and they see this as a way to get inside of her and finally be born.
1: So I feel like we saw Shino you know on the on the on the slab if yes. you will earlier with. The same attire, the same kimono with the sun and the moons that we talked about. Do we believe that she once worked at this establishment or once visited it or she knows. was in this place before? Or just metaphorically had the the pain of uh abortion or this is things that have happened. Is this her second child? Is this a sign of things to come? Is this a precursor? It's It's not very clear.
0: Yeah, it's not very clear, and this is one thing that confuses a lot of people. And I don't think—my interpretation is I don't think that um, that moment where Hisayo has Shino on the slab and is uh, pounding on on her stomach as, like, how she performed abortions back then— Um, I don't think that was actually happening. I think this is, this whole area is wrapped up in the past of this horrific event, and I think Shino is just witnessing it, but that whole moment where, um, like, I don't even believe Isayu is alive at this moment. I think she's a ghost. Event, like, a ghost that is just trapped in this area, trapped in this, um, horrible event in the past, and she is just following through of, like, this is what I did, and I don't, I think she knows just being caught in this past, like, image. I don't...
1: Yeah, I, my interpretation is that when she got sucked away, it was almost that she went into the mind or soul yeah. of, of someone who used to be there and experienced it, like, secondhand yeah. through the events that happened. But it wasn't her, you know, back in the day or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: and also while she's being dragged around within these images or these visions, uh, she has to witness herself um, with the, uh, we're not exactly sure if he's a prince, whoever it was in royalty and they are together and she says that she loves, or he says that she loves him. I'm sorry. He says that he loves her. He loves Shino and she, Finally, goes, oh, well, in that case, I can tell you this: I'm pregnant. And all of a sudden, the music stops, and the spinning the, wheels on his face stop.
1: Freeze frame, and he's just like, uh, "What? You know <laughs> wrong answer, lady." Yeah,
0: and then, um, at this moment, we also see that yellow, uh, zashiki Warashi that we saw before with the um, tapestry coming off of it, connecting to Shino at this moment when they're in bed, like, the, like, um, this this image that she is seeing
1: yeah it's so cool <laughs> it's so cool how it's yeah. done
0: and then uh, at this moment Kusu finally has um the pieces put together he or he is starting to piece it together he knows that the um as we mentioned before he that he needed the um the truth and the uh regret like what or um what the the like the goal of the mononoke the truth is the, the what happened here that this um that these zashiki warashi are were born from these abortions that they were that, that's what this what happened in this um in this room and so he still kind of needs the reason and he's trying to protect um shino from these mononoke he's standing in front of her and Trying to defend her from them, he's like, "I still need the reason in order to save you." And she has a talisman placed on side of on like, on the top of her pregnant belly. And then he pieces together that they are trying to use her as a way to be born into this world. And he um, is trying to, I guess, prevent that from happening because he's like, "You can't, you can't ha- help these these uh, zashiki warashi. They're going to haunt you." But Shino at this point, wants... She kind of feels bad for what happened. And she is willing to give birth to them. So she stands in front. She goes and walks past Kusuriri. Stands between him and the Mononoke. And says that she's going to give birth to them. And Kusuriri's like, you can't. They're they're going to haunt you. And she's like, no, I, I believe that they just want a mother. And she rips off the talisman. And at this moment, this is when she starts to bleed profusely crazy
1: (laughs) yeah crazy i mean essentially what we're getting is like the regret of all these mononoke is not it's just they they wanted life they wanted someone to love them they wanted a chance at the world and they were deprived of that before they had a chance and they they see their one saving grace as you know the one person who is that they've ever known who has fought for their for a child's right to live and they've are just like this is this is our savior this is our our chance at success and they have this close affinity with her and that's kind of their regret and reason for haunting to find someone who will love them one day yeah
0: and um one topic that came up when we discussed this before was that um some people were put off because it felt like a very strong pro-life like uh, episode, but I didn't interpret it that way. I think th- what is important to remember is that these were forced. They didn't have like the the women who were um, pregnant were forced into this. Pregnant, no had choice no say whatsoever. In this. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I the I, I realize as we say it definitely. I could see how it sounds that way when I am speaking about it, but I agree with you that perception when the show was happening, the situation that they were in, and their lack of choice was. Definitely not a a pro-life message in that explicit regard. Mm,
0: But um, also, going back just a tiny bit, there was something that I forgot to mention. Um, Six minutes and seven seconds into this episode, episode two, um, what I thought was very interesting and why I wanted to bring it up later was that... When Shino is pulled away, she's in this new room and it shows a fireplace, but the fireplace has a phoenix painted on it and it shows it real close up, like it's drawing your attention to it. I just think it's interesting because although the Japanese phoenix lore is a lot different than the Western one, I still think it might be, be it might be used here as a way to represent rebirth. And after, like we now know what the Zashiki Uirashi wanted what their goal was. So I think it's interesting they chose to put a phoenix there.
1: Yeah, re- rebirth is exactly what their goal mm-hmm. is. But for it to be in the fire is very interesting.
0: Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then this is the ending, basically, is that she tears off the talisman, she's bleeding profusely, and uh, Kusu looks kind of regretful, and she's like, I don't understand, I don't understand what's happening. And um, that's basically... Towards like the end of it, the Zashiki warashi disappear, but we do get to see a couple flashes of things that happen that we don't understand yet at this point in the show. We get to see a flash of Kusu in kind of like a- or something that at least resembles Kusuriri, but that has um, darker skin, white hair, and he's just standing in a pose that looked like he just performed some kind of action. And we get to see... Like you just slice through yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also get to see this wild kind of flare that happens that goes through the Zashiki Uirashi and it freeze frames on one particular Zashiki Uirashi, And it's like, thank you. And then it disappears. That flash, mm-hmm. um, we don't know what it is yet, but it is revealed later in the series and it's very important to...
1: There's a couple tools that he uses mm-hmm. from like scales and things that we see floating around and we're just like, w- what, why, how, like, explain, please. And it comes in gradually over the series. Yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it isn't necessary for like what is happening, but we get a deeper meaning of how he uses his instruments and how they work for helping him detect and slay. Whatever creature. This is, is definitely is troubling. People. Yeah, this is
0: definitely a good series to rewatch because those things, when you first watch it, you're like, I don't exactly understand what I just saw happen. But after you rewatch it, you're like, Oh, I know what that is. And the particular flash that I'm talking about, where it's sweeping through, is at 19 minutes and 58 seconds. We're like right at the end. And yeah, exactly. That uh, flash that we see, we'll probably discuss. Probably, I think maybe in the next arc we get to see exactly what that is.
1: Um, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. The next arc honestly is like almost a better jumping on point mm-hmm. because in in this story, this first arc was essentially four characters, not excluding the, the Zashiki Uarashi or the uh, the Pursuer. But essentially all four characters kind of all know what's going on in like the back of their head so they don't really explain anything to us. We're kind of left to figure it out ourselves whereas the next arc kind of has a bunch of characters who are not sure what's going on, so they're asking questions kind of like an audience stand-in. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we get a little more like explanation and dialogue of what's going on. It doesn't lose the, you know, mystery or mysticism of it, but it's a little more, hey, you made it through two episodes. Let's let's hold your hand just a little bit for how Things play out, but honestly, these two episodes are phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed them much more in my rewatch Yeah, than I did the first time.
0: Um, so then after the credits, we get to see a scene of Shino uh, laying on the floor next to a painting of a pregnant woman, and you if you had paid been paying attention to the background during this whole, um like this whole uh, arc in the room that she was given there are paintings of children there's paintings of a pregnant woman on the wall and she's rubbing the pregnant woman's stomach and then she starts rubbing her own and starts talking to it again so i don't know this is the part where we get to interpret exactly what happened at the end because it's very vague we don't we're not sure um from her tearing off the talisman and her bleeding and then the Zajiki urashi disappearing exactly what happened but um,
1: so, Mandy, what do you think happened?
0: So the way that I interpret it, and this is um, interesting because whenever I talk to somebody else who likes this series, um, sometimes I've heard people have different interpretations of it. And the way that I interpreted it, interpreted this is that um, I think that Shino's child before she came into the building was already dead. I think she had already had a miscarriage because um we forgot to mention before that she lost the charm outside like as she is standing right in front of the establishment the charm falls off and falls into the street and this is where we get to see the doll for the first time the yellow doll and that's left out in the rain and then that doll follows her and we now know what the doll is and what it represents and um in terms of the The children that were in the wall and this doll has been following her and it is connected to her we get to actually see this doll connected to her with the red tapestry and the child that is connected to her grabs the doll and says this is mine and we get to see it again as it um, we get to see the flashback of her uh, actually creating this child like through the flashback that she is being shown from the Zashiki Uirashi so I think that her child had already passed away, and then when she rips off the talisman, it kind of prevents the zashiki urashi from haunting her. Like when um, I think it was protect, um, I think it's protecting them from um, causing any kind of differences to what's going on in her body. And when she rips it off, we catch up the speed, yeah. and this is what's happening. Like she's just bleeding profusely, like it, like it had already happened and um, and towards the end when when she is laying down rubbing the woman's stomach, I think there's also the possibility that she that these now have a place to uh be born, and that they have taken you know they are now able to um go inside of her, or I think there's also the possibility that she is just possibly just lost her mind at this point. <laughs> we don't know if she is actually <laughs> pregnant still at this point. Wait, I don't know. It's interesting because um that flash that we that we saw before that I mentioned is as we see in later arcs is Kusuri's sword. This is what the sword looks like. It doesn't look like a normal like sword that you see like it's not like um like
1: he refers to it as a taima yes. in uh other other the other series.
0: Yeah, and um like it looks like this wild flare, this flame. So there's a possibility he just slain the Ayakashi or the Mononoke and they're gone and she's just lost her mind. We don't we're not entirely sure, but we do get to see the doll again put back together. There's no more crack there's no crack left in it as we saw in the previous scene when she uh tore off the talisman. The doll cracks. But at the end, we get to see it whole. So, I don't know. I think it's also a possibility that maybe the Zashiki did find a mother. And she will give birth to them. Yeah.
1: So, my interpretation was perhaps a little more positive. Um, once again, has no more substantiation. Nothing I can point to that says, well, actually, I'm right because X, Y, Z. But my interpretation was that, you know, the she had a talisman on her belly protecting her... Like Mandy said, her her systems at play, and when she ripped that off, the the so War, she tried you know invading her body, trying to be birthed by her, and that started you know the the blood to be released. But when they realized that you no, know, she is she already was like destined to be a mother. She was uh, still about to give birth. I didn't believe she had miscarried yet. Was that you know, That if they were to be born through her they would be themselves the spirits killing the child that was still there and they might have realized that you know this one person who's been fighting for us and kind of graced us with the opportunity to be born to do so would would harm her and remove her chance at having her child and they kind of like stepped back like accepted that for to show kindness back to her we will you know withdraw and allow ourselves to be uh slain by kusu and they kind of step back and they kind of look on as she is holding the hand of the the child that is to come that they they the spirits allowed to remain and with their sacrifice
0: i think it's i think it's fascinating that So many people can come up with so many different interpretations, and I don't think any of them are necessarily right or wrong,
1: which, yeah. No, the show could have done so many things Mm -hmm. to, you know, have her literally with a child, have her in a different environment. Like, it could have made it clear, but it intentionally left this lasting image obtuse Mm -hmm. for you to think about as you go on
0: that's one thing that i love with certain mysteries is when they don't hold your hand they don't give you a very straightforward answer so that way i do think about it later on it gives you the opportunity to discuss with your friends or other people like what did you think i don't know that's something that i love
1: it it solves the complete yes. mystery of the story that we came here for mm-hmm. the question was no no what's what's the form what's the truth the regret what happened here to get us where we are and the show answers all of those questions but then drops a new question at the very end and and just sets it there Mm -hmm. and it's it's so you feel like satisfied you got the answer you wanted but you don't feel complete and it makes you think and ruminate and contemplate what the message is and what you can take away from it and it's it's just a really solid two episodes, yeah. which are, you know, like I said earlier, it's setting up all the dominoes in episode one, knocking them down in episode two, and setting one more up at the very end. And it's uh Yeah,
0: it's, it's so fascinating. I could talk about this series for hours. It's so good and I just
1: I I think I could talk about the series in five installments <laughs> of one and a half to two hour podcasts.
0: <laughs> and I'm so excited to have this opportunity too. And yeah, sorry guys, there's probably not going to be a lot of comedy in these episodes cuz this is not a very funny show. It's not there's not a lot to joke on. It's very serious. No and horrific. No, no
1: no Mason goofs and gaffes <laughs> is, uh <laughs> but I I do Genuinely, especially, now you know, when we release this, uh, whether you've heard us on the podcast, whether this is your first time listening to us, uh, hope you've given the first two episodes a shot. If you haven't and just listened through anyway, hopefully we've convinced you in some way to watch episodes three through five, which will be the next set. So you can start getting ahead. So that's the Umi arc. Mm-hmm. And definitely leave us questions and suggestions on how we can do this yeah, better do we for sure. i mean i propose like oh maybe we'll talk about it as it is going on but like will you watch it like along with us but then you know we'll be having to fly by we'll be limited by yeah, time the timing of the episode and i don't know if we talk afterwards or do the screenshots even help do you want pictures you want, like how can we make this more enriching and more uh, how can we trick people into watching the show? That's <laughs> essentially what I'm asking. That's
0: the actual, that's the would, actual goal here.
1: <laughs> we would love to hear your feedback. But
0: also, hopefully you just learn something from it. Because um, hopefully we helped you understand it a little bit more. Because I know it's very confusing, especially for people who don't know all of the history behind Mononoke, what they are, or maybe some little tidbits of just Japanese history and... Uh, we have done our research <laughs> there's probably loads of things still in the episode that we did not catch because we don't know the information behind it quite po- very possible oh, for sure but um yeah hopefully that you just listened to this found something interesting in there that you didn't know before and now you do. <laughs>
1: And there's a ton more yokai in the next arc, and we're definitely going to get in the weeds or the oceans, I might say, of that one. Oh
0: yeah, we're about to dive deep into those. There's oh, there's some really good arcs coming up, and I'm so excited. So thank you so much for listening, and I'm looking very forward to the rest of the series. Yes, indeed. Alrighty, have a good night, guys
2: ode